1: And now, today's podcast episode. Morning. Good morning. Welcome to another episode of the Almost Awakened podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Bill. And I'm Mikkel. And we are excited to have you on today. Uh, I was talking, reaching out to you, Mikkel, a couple, uh, maybe a week ago, a week and a half ago, and I just said one of the things I want to cover, I just think it would be a huge, just a fun history lesson. I think it's also going to give us more anxiety. I'm a little (laughs) nervous about that. I'm I'm already getting more scared by the day. Um. And we live in Utah and Utah is not with one of these, you know, mega metropolis cities that is getting slammed right now. But now that we're in the suburbs and rural communities that are starting to pick up on this and uh, I'm a little nervous. But I thought it would be fun from a history standpoint to talk about some of the plagues of the past. Okay. And um, before I get into that, is there anything kind of going on with Mikkel and Kelsey and your world and life in general?
2: Um, no, but I have a joke for you.
1: Okay, tell tell me a joke.
2: <laughs> Why did the germ cross the microscope?
1: Why did the germ cross the microscope? I don't know.
2: To get to the other slide.
1: To get to the other slide. You know, another thing that scares me is this reminds me of this is petri dishes, right? <laughs> like I remember being in science class and you were told to put like you know put a booger on this side of the petri dish and put a little bit of your saliva on that side and and then we came back like two weeks later and it looked like the bubonic plague. <laughs> On the Petri dish, right? Like, you, did you do that in school?
2: Yeah. So I took a, an advanced microbiology class in college and we had to swab various surfaces to see what would grow and then try and identify the bacteria or the other germs that would grow. And so we swabbed like the doorknob and, you know, and, and we had to come up with these hypotheses like which, which surface uh, we thought was going to grow the most germs, you know, so a lot of people were putting... Some bets on like the toilet seat and that kind of thing, but um, money is Ooh. money and uh, like it's just- filthy, yeah, filthy doorknobs. lucre mm-hmm. <laughs> grew the most germs. So oh.
1: it's kind of a miracle that a pandemic hasn't occurred from a uh, eighth grade science petri dish, isn't it? <laughs> all the color, I remember all the colors and fuzzies and oh yeah, man, it's, it's gross. wow. So to get to the other slide, I like that um listeners we're glad you're here today again we're going to talk about some of the plagues of the past i've got five that i want to cover michael maybe you've got one or two you want to add into as we go along um i'll just read some of this and then we can talk about each one of these some of these there was less information on than others but these to me i think are the five biggest uh plagues that we've had in recorded history i could be wrong Uh, the first one is the plague of justinian uh, it says that um, formerly Pastorella pestis, I don't know what that looks like under a microscope, was a bacteria responsible for the plague. Three of the deadliest pandemics in recorded history were caused by a single bacterium, Yersinia pestis, a fatal infection, otherwise known as the plague. The plague of Justinian arrived in Constantinople, the capital of the Byzantine Empire in 541 CE, It was carried over the Mediterranean Sea from Egypt, a recently conquered land paying tribute to Emperor Justinian in grain, plague ridden fleas carried on the backs of black rats Mm. that snacked on the grain that came um, from Egypt to the Emperor Justinian. Uh, The plague decimated Constantinople uh, and spread like wildfire across Europe, Asia, North Africa, and Arabia killing an estimated 30 to 50 million people. Now, this is at a time when there isn't 7 billion people on the planet. Uh, 30 to 50 million is an insane number. Perhaps half of the world's population is the estimate.
2: That's insane. Um,
1: It is. Imagine if this COVID-19 was killing half the population. We probably would approach this a little differently, wouldn't we? Probably. Yeah, I, I... Uh, I would stay in a room in my house and the rest (laughs) of my family would have to find a different room. (laughs) Um, People had no real understanding of how to fight it other than trying to avoid sick people. Uh, Thomas McAdus, a history professor at Nepal university uh, talked about how the plague ended. The best guess is that the majority of people in the pandemic somehow survive and those who survive have immunity. So they can go back to eating the grain eaten by black rats with infected fleas. Um, any thoughts on this early plague, the plague of Justinian?
2: No, it's just, it, it, I wish that there were a way to go back in time and see, you know, see how people responded and see how it spread and, and have an understanding. Um, Cause I, I can imagine that people without having the things that we have now, like the technology and the science and all of that, I can imagine the amount of fear that, was, you know, present when people started dying and getting sick with that. And they didn't know why they didn't have an understanding of what caused the spread of the infection or where it came from. So,
1: you know, we live in 2020, we know that, uh, infectious illnesses like this are infectious long before symptoms show up and, um, they live in a time where all they have to go on is what they see. Mm-hmm. And so the only ability is the moment someone coughs or sneezes or has a pimple on their arm show up that's new is to run as far from them as you could. And yet, as you and I both know, that really isn't super effective. And so they, they lived and dealt with the fact that half of their population essentially to some extent died from this thing. Um, right. Crazy. I mean, if, if again, if this illness that we're dealing with today, this infection that we're dealing with today killed half of us. Um, I can only imagine the level of fear we would all be having and fear, fear causes us to judge others and to make any excuse to make them and, and to get as far away from them as possible. Um, I could see us being really harsh. You know, if we lived in that day, being really harsh to anybody who was different, who traveled into town, being harsh with anybody who, whose family got sick, assuming it came from them, it started there, there, there would just be lots of tribalism, right? Mm Yeah. Unfortunate. The, uh, the next one is the Black Death and this is the invention of quarantine. I found this kind of interesting yeah um, what's that?
2: that? It is interesting like the quarantine and and I didn't know some of this stuff so the yeah. links you sent me were cool.
1: It says the plague never really went away. They talked about um, it showed up the first time and it didn't it didn't do a horrible amount of, a horrible amount of damage but then when it returned um, 800 years later it killed with reckless abandon. The Black Death, which hit Europe in 1347, uh, claimed an astonishing 200 million lives in just four years.
2: And that's that was what was interesting to me, Bill, was it was four, like in four years, 200 million people died. It wasn't like this came and then was gone. They were dealing with this for years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. From community to community, constantly a segment of your population were sick and they were uh, – becoming deceased from this infection. Um, and maybe I'm using the wrong words. You're the medical person. Correct me anywhere along the way. I'm, I'm using illness, infection, all that kind of stuff, uh, kind of in the same boat. But, you know, viruses, bacteria, um, uh, dirty water, and what's in that versus some contagion coming off someone's skin. There's there's certainly more, more to it than just saying, like, these things are all the same thing. They're not. Um, claimed an astonishing 200 million lives in just four years. As for how to stop the disease, people still had no scientific understanding of contagion, but they knew it had something to do with proximity. That's why forward-thinking officials in Venetian-controlled port city of Ragusa decided to keep newly arrived sailors in isolation until they could prove they weren't sick. At first, sailors were held in their ships for 30 days, which became known in Venetian law as a Trentino. As time went on, the Venetians increased the forced isolation. And see, this is it too. We blame the sailors, right? Meanwhile, the disease is among the, the natives, and the natives are getting each other sick as much as the sailors are getting them sick. But it's easy to blame the sailors. It's their fault. Um, as time went on, increased the, force, the forced isolation to 40 days, or a quarantino, the origin of the word, word quarantine, and the start of its practice in the Western world. That definitely had an effect, uh, said Mac, Macaitis, the uh, the professor. Um, so here's where quarantine starts. We finally kind of say, like, look, let's get each other away from each other whenever we see someone who is possibly bringing it in or if somebody in our town is sick. They had these rules, and we'll get into this in some of the other plagues. They had these rules where they would force people who they knew had the illness if they were going to walk around town to carry a white stick. Um, and this is not some of the other illnesses that happen. So imagine like all the shame you would feel <laughs> as you went to go get your groceries and everybody stayed the- away from you, right? It's
2: like the Scarlet Letter.
1: It's the Scarlet Letter, except it's not because you had sex with somebody. Right. It's because what? you had something completely <laughs> out of your control. <laughs> what do you think? I mean, we, should we make people carry a white stick today? No. Because they're doing that to some extent. They're putting ankle bracelets on them. And-
2: There's, I, I, I'm fascinated by the amount of shaming that is happening even right now. Like people are shaming people who like still want to go outside and people are shaming people who are quarantined or who choose to self-isolate. And it's, it's like, just, we just need to give each other space to be who we are and quit shaming each other.
1: Yeah. We, 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 you know, the, the rule they're saying is don't get together in groups of 10 or more. Right. Right. And we also realize there's a price with social isolation that suicides go up. Right. Depression goes up. um, Our health diminishes when we are socially isolated and feeling that depression. Right. Um, So there is a social cost to just hiding all by ourselves in our house or just staying in our home with our family. We are social creatures. We do need other humans to be around us. Um, So we got to give people space that when they're at a breaking point, They have room to go do something with someone and to get that social connection and and what feeds them from that experience back. Right. right? It's going to be interesting to see, and again, we're tying all these stories back into the present pandemic, but it's going to be interesting to see the baseball season hasn't started yet. Basketball is just around the corner and we anticipate that maybe not happening early on. The NFL says, Hey, we're a ways away. We're definitely going to play. Uh, The uh, Trump was on a phone call with, uh, football commissioners from various football organizations, including the NFL, and said, "You guys can plan on it. We're going to play football. And we're going to have packed stadiums, promising that in three months, four months, five months, we're back to life as normal." Thoughts?
2: I don't think it's going to be that soon. We'll we'll have to see. Yeah. I mean, th- there there is a chance that this lingers longer and and we just keep getting reinfected. But I don't know. We'll have to see. We'll see. Yeah, it'll be interesting.
1: Yeah. Italy just now experienced their first decline in new cases, but that's with social distancing in practice.
2: And they've had a massive amount of death occur. Yeah. Um, so I think it's scared people enough to, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. We'll see.
1: Yeah, very much. Um, let's What's see here. Ne- What's that?
2: What's the next plague?
1: The, the next one is the great plague of London, Mm. Uh, says, London never really caught a, br- a break after the Black Death. The plague resurfaced roughly every 20 years from 1348 to 1665, 40 outbreaks in 300 years. Wow. And with each new plague ec- epidemic, 20% of the men, women, and children living in the British capital were killed. By the early 1500s, England imposed the first laws to separate and isolate the sick. Homes stricken by plague we're marked with a bale of hay strung to a pole outside. So there we go again. Just a, a little more shame. We should put a big giant white X on people's houses who have got coronavirus. Um, and, then, and then we'll just shame them. Um, and I get it. Like we're trying to protect ourselves. But there also has to be some common sense. And again, we don't have it back then, at least not to the degree today. And sometimes today we lack it. But we just ask the sick to stay in. But that sounds simple enough. In Hurricane, Utah, there was a gentleman who was um, – In close proximity with someone who was found to have COVID-19, he was asked to isolate himself and then was caught the next day, I think on two occasions by the police traveling around town and going to stores. Like if I'm told I spent an hour next to somebody who had it and I need to isolate for two weeks, why the hell don't I do what I'm told to do. doesn't make sense. And, but you have so many people who just write this off as just made up stuff. This is all fake news. Um, home stricken by the plague were marked with a bale of hay strung to a pole outside. If you had infected family members, you had to carry a white pole when you went out in public, cats and dogs were believed to carry the disease. Sorry. Um, so there was a wholesale massacre, hundreds of thousands of animals, right? That, like there were lots of innocent cats and dogs because we always look for someone to blame and it's easy to blame the dogs and the cats. And, uh, and they went, they went by the wayside. The great plague of 1665 was the last and one of the worst of the centuries long outbreaks, killing 100,000 Londoners in just seven months, all public. And that sounds like a lot, but that's what we're dealing with today. That's what we're right in the midst of probably looking at. Right. Um, All, of course, there was a lot less population. So a lot higher percentage of people were dying all public entertainment was banned and victims were forcibly shut into their homes to prevent the spread of the disease. Red crosses were painted on their doors along with a plea for forgiveness. Lord have mercy on us. They believed the color red had some healing property. So they would put red glass in the windows. Sometimes they would try to get sunlight to come through red glass, to put a red light on people. Um, they would dress people up in red clothes. They thought somehow red was the solution to the problem. Um, and I don't know, maybe that goes back to Jesus theology and redemption and, you know, giving one's blood. I don't know. But it seems a strange thing to pick a color to be the solution. Yeah. Um, as cruel as it was to shut up the sick in their homes, they shut the sick up. They put the sick in their homes and they boarded up the doors and windows. Made it so they couldn't get out. Now, the story here doesn't tell me. I didn't go look further. It didn't tell me whether they were left there to die or whether, like, two weeks later or a month later they unboarded it. And if people had access to any food or water or uh, it kind of made it sound like they just were boarded up and, you know, the house was kind of condemned and walked away from.
2: It's, that's what it sounds like. I don't think that um, many people recovered from this plague, if I remember correctly, from like history class. Um, and so I think I think you're right. I think they were just so overwhelmed with the number of people dying and that there wasn't a cure and they didn't understand how the disease worked, that they just left people in their homes and then would later go back and clean things out. But I don't know for sure.
1: Yeah. Um a lot of unnecessary people died. Not just the sick people, but just a lot of unnecessary people died. Um smallpox. Let me green here. This This is a let's see if I can uh let's see. Let's try this.
2: So while you're looking Bill, I yeah, thought please. um it would be good to talk about like the difference between an epidemic and a pandemic. Um Yeah,
1: tell us. Tell us the difference between the two.
2: An epidemic is a disease that affects a large number of people within a community, population, or region. And an epidemic, I mean, a pandemic, is one that spreads over multiple countries and continents. So um, one website said an easy way to know the difference between an epidemic and a pandemic is um, pandemic has a passport. So that's why COVID is a pandemic. It's because it's crossed um, countries.
1: So epidemic stays in a local culture society mm-hmm. and pandemic is a worldwide issue or at least multi multi-area issue.
2: Right. And there's one more word too called an endemic and that is a disease or something that belongs to a particular people or country. So um I'm
1: trying to Smallpox among the Native Americans. Yeah. Yeah, that wow. And that's yeah, we'll get to that here in a second cuz that's one of the most uh real shameful, like really shameful. And embarrassing moments in American history is what we did to the Native American, mm. the indigenous people. Um, let me share my screen here. Uh, share. Look at that. So did you ever have chicken pox when you were a kid? Yes. I had chicken pox too. And you get a little bit of this. Not like, like that. In a, in a small way. Like it's small dots. They're red. I got them in my throat. I couldn't eat for a day or two. And then it started to go away. Um, I, I definitely had it. And I, I didn't feel great but I never felt like my life was in danger. I know that some people have serious repercussions from uh, chicken pox, but smallpox was a serious issue. Uh, it killed a lot of people. And I was listening to a podcast yesterday on smallpox and it would start off as these little sores, but they would get into your throat. You couldn't eat. They would cause damage to your organs, your heart. Um, and, and a lot of people died from this. So smallpox was an endemic to Europe. Asia and Arabia for centuries, a persistent menace that killed three out of 10 people. It infected and left the rest with pockmark scars. I think, let me see here if I've got, um,
2: yeah. So my, my brother was in the military and had to go to the middle East and, um, had to get vaccinated against smallpox. And so he's got, um, like a scar. That's about the size of a quarter on his arm where they inoculated him but I can't imagine having scars like that all over your entire body.
1: Yeah. And there were pictures on the internet. If someone wants to look, they can go on the internet and look at people with smallpox who have recovered. And some of them like these little pock marks are all over. It's atrocious, but, but the outward, you know, visual look of it is one thing. The damage it was doing inside people's bodies was a whole nother. The, uh, the death rate in the old world paled in comparison to the devastation wrought on the native populations in the new world, when the smallpox virus arrived in the 15th century with first European explorers. And I read a story yesterday that when, when we as Europeans wanted to get rid of the native Americans, we intentionally gave them blankets with smallpox on it. What? Yeah. We intentionally gave them blankets. There are several podcasts about smallpox blankets. And so we gave the native Americans, these blankets once we learned they didn't have an immunity buildup to this and that it decimated them. I read in some of uh, the data that 90% of native american peoples were decimated by um, by smallpox. That that there were places where where there was 1 million there were only 100,000 after the smallpox insane. ran through. Yeah. Uh, and that's another thing you have to consider, you know, we're all from different countries. We all deal with different climates and um, Uh, the landscape that we're in, we all have different immunities based on the areas we grow up in that we ought to expect in various places that even like this COVID-19 may hit some people harder than it hits other places, Uh, depending on whether they caught certain corona strains in the past, they may have just a slightly better immunity. Um, So it'll be interesting to see, I think the data come out when this is all done of what places were hit the hardest and whether that was due to the shortages of hospitals in major um, metropolis cities or, or whether some places got hit harder, like Louisiana, for instance, got hit harder because their immunities were different. Yeah. Um, I'm fascinated by data. It's all scary, but I'm fascinated by data. And I'm, I'm, I'm eager. Again, I'm not happy about it, but I'm eager to see how all that data pans out in the end. Yeah. Um, there hasn't been a kill off in human history to match what happened in the Americas. 90 to 95% of the indigenous population wiped out over a century. Mexico goes from 11 million people pre-conquest to 1 million people. Centuries later, smallpox became the first virus epidemic to be ended by a vaccine. In the late 18th century, a British doctor named Jenner, and this was kind of cool, I thought, there was a different strain of smallpox uh, called cowpox. And um, this, this scientist guy, this you know Jenner guy, realized that the milkmaids who came in contact with the cowpox and had a cowpox infection were barely bothered at all by the smallpox infection. And so he, by the way, he, he breaks a, a rule, a medical rule. He infected people with cowpox um, without them knowing <laughs> and just to test his theory and then, then exposed them to smallpox unknowingly (laughs) to test his theory and um, found that it actually worked. So he ended up finding essentially this, this vaccine by using cowpox to inoculate people against smallpox. Um, Let me see here. Uh, The milkmaids were infected with this milder virus cowpox. Um, He inoculated the gardener's nine year old son with cowpox and then exposed him to the smallpox virus with no ill effect. That's pretty shitty. Um, he solves a major issue in the world and saves millions of lives and he does it unethically and in a shitty way. <laughs> um, people need to know and have the chance to give approval to being tested, having things tested on them.
2: Yeah. Consent uh, is pretty important.
1: Yeah. Consent's a big deal in the almost awakened community. Uh, we are big fans of consent. And so please consent to, you know, if you're going to give people hydrochloroquine, uh, please Get consent first before you do that. Um, let's see here. He was right. It took nearly two more centuries, but in 1980, the world health organization announced that smallpox had been completely eradicated from the face of the earth. Actually not true. One of the things I found preparing for this episode, a vial of smallpox was found in an old rundown, closed down lab uh, in a test tube or a tube. And um, so there, there's somewhere there still is a tube of smallpox that exists. Waiting to be broken accidentally at some future date.
2: Yeah, that's the next thing that's going to hit us, Bill.
1: <laughs> What's that? Some kind of pox?
2: Some. I'm just kidding. It's oh, the smallpox. Yeah. Conspiracy theorists, you know, that say that COVID is is was inter- introduced by China, or that we yeah. introduced it to to Asia.
1: Conspiracy theories are awesome, but the problem with that idea, if you're China and you invent a pandemic illness.
2: Right. Why would you kill your own people?
1: You are the closest stacked on top of each other group of billion people. I don't know what there is in China, 2 billion, something like that. It's some insane number. You, you are set to face. You're going to get it first. And which you did. You're going to get it first and you're going to get hit the hardest. Now I know China's numbers are low, but you and I both know they're lying. Uh, China's getting their ass slammed right now by COVID-19 and they're just not showing anything and not telling people. But if, to send out a pandemic that in a in a world economy, in world travel does no serves no purpose. Right, it's not beneficial. Um, and you know, if you go read actual data and science on this, it becomes clear that this came from certain animals first, believe bats maybe first, and then maybe bats to some other animal, and then to us. But that is uh, smallpox um, completely eradicated. Besides a small vial somewhere. Uh, the next one's cholera. We're starting to get into some of these things that affected us more recently. Uh, smallpox certainly did too. Cholera did as well. There was a cholera pandemic in the early to mid 19th century. Cholera tore through England, uh, killing tens of thousands. The prevailing scientific theory of the day said that the disease was spread by foul air known as miasma. And I don't know if that has something to, it's gotta be tied into the word asthma, like something to do with the air. Um, A British doctor said that the mysterious disease that which killed its victims within days of the first symptoms lurked in London's drinking water. So he ends up smart guy. He does what we're doing now, which is tracking the data. And he he creates a map. and He starts tracking where the infection and where the deaths are occurring. And, And he figures out that a large chunk of these are happening near this well in the center of one of the towns. He showed uh, Mm government officials, they take his data seriously. They walk up to the well that's in the middle of this town and they just remove the handle so that nobody can pump water from that well anymore. Mm -hmm. And suddenly the cholera um, uh, widespread cholera that's going on is now just minimized almost immediately. And now there's only small pockets of dirty water in various places. It's kind of the first time we realize like it's important to keep our water clean.
2: Yeah. That's interesting.
1: Yeah. I mean, clean water, right? Like. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, they removed the pump handle on the broad street drinking well, rendering it unusable, and like magic, the infections dried up. Snow's work didn't cure cholera overnight, but it eventually led to a global effort to improve urban sanitation and protect drinking water from contamination. We used to live in a world where when someone died, you just dragged them onto the street. We threw them into a uh, a cart. And then every day or every couple of days, somebody would come along the town, pick up all the bodies and dispose of them. We would, we would just piss into uh, dishes, right? And we would just take a shit into a dish and then just throw it under the street. And people wondered, like, I wonder why we're all getting sick. <laughs> Can you imagine the air? Like, what would the what would the what would right here? You and I live in Southern Utah. What would the streets of the city of Washington and Hurricane? Smell like if we still dumped our shit and piss out into the roads.
2: <laughs> I I would find a new place to uh,
1: live. Yeah, but the, yeah, but I think they all did that way. <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. We had we had dishes under our bed. And we would just shit in the dish, I know. piss in the, and then then just get up in the morning and take care of it. And the whole night just sit around with the aroma of our shit and piss in our bedroom.
2: That's gross. It's gross.
1: I uh I uh I worked when I lived in Ohio. I worked for a flooring company and. Um, There was this old historic area called uh, Lakeside. It was called the Chautauqua of Lake Erie, the Chautauqua of Ohio. And um, uh, it was this religious community, tight-knit, older homes, old, old homes. In some of these houses, there would be a toilet in the kitchen. And in some of these houses, there were toilets in the bedrooms. Uh, So you'd have a toilet and the bed right next to the toilet. And I would go out and measure these houses, and I was dumbfounded. I just never understood as a young kid, starting off, off in this, where we had toilets in our, in our bedrooms, in our kitchens, the toilet in the kitchen wow. had a draw curtain that went all the way around nice. you. So you could be baking biscuits and you feel the urge to drop a deuce, right? To pinch a loaf, pinch a rat. And you would just go in the middle of your kitchen, sit on your toilet and draw your curtain all the way around you. And then there would be loud shitting noises running through your kitchen and your family would be like, oh, there's mom again, just shitting while she's making dinner um, insane how we used to do this thing.
2: Yeah, it is insane. I, that brings up another point, Bill. I was reading an article about, um, the guy who invented Listerine. So he, um, let me pull it up here. Joseph Lister, um, considered a pioneer in antiseptic surgery. Um, he was, let me pull up the article here. I read this a couple of years ago and it was super interesting. Um, so originally marketed, it was used to clean uh, surgical instruments and um, surgical dressings. And they found he found that his surgical infection rates were super much lower. And so um, they started to use his product as a general germicide as well as a surgical antiseptic. And then his formula was sold to a local pharmacist who then started marketing it as an oral care product.
1: Yeah, so we find an antiseptic so and now we start gargling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's what we do today, yeah. right? Now we have that's mouthwashes that kill germs. Yep. <clears throat>
2: um, I also read an article that was about why or how we name the flu. So H1N1, H1N2. That was interesting. Yeah. Um, because I didn't know this. Let me, let me find the beginning. It says, it's hard to keep up with all the changing names in the news. H1N what? Bird flu, swine flu, pig flu, MERS, SARS. So there are three main types of influenza. A, B, and C. And they're named after core proteins. Um, usually people get sick from influenza A. Influenza B comes around every two to four years, and C is mild and hasn't caused any epidemics. Um, and so they're they're named by surface proteins, and so H A hemagglutin, hemagglutinin, and N A which is a neuroaminidase. I'll have to send you the article. Um, but what happens is the When one virus infects a cell, if there is another virus present, the two um, viruses can share genetic information and come up with a different strain. And so it's, it's a process of keeping track of the different strains. It was interesting too, because um, I think this new COVID virus actually came from bats. If I remember correctly, it was a, it was a virus that was in bats and it, somehow jumped to humans.
1: Yeah. Somebody had a close encounter with an infected bat. Mm-hmm. Um, it the, the Spanish flu was also an H1N1 virus, you know, and and they, there's a debate mm-hmm. whether viruses are living or not. And it depends on which, which realm of study you're in, because there's some things that viruses share in common with living things. The ability, for instance, to impart genetic material. Um, mm-hmm. And, And on some level too, there's some argument that they're not living things because they also don't like, there's some definition of living things that they don't really carry through on. And so it really depends on what what segment of science you're in, but you're right. You know, you share an important fact, which is that viruses can mutate. Mm -hmm. And as they encounter, as they, as they truly from person to person, you know, this person gets it, they become infectious. They share that material. It evolves just like the rest of us have evolved. Evolution is happening with these, and so H1N1 yeah. flu. But now there's vaccines for multiple strains of it because there are different types of H1N1, and and in the future there will be other strains of flu that we don't have vaccines for immediately.
2: Right, right. It's it is super interesting. I was talking to somebody else about bacteria and how bacteria have mutated and evolved, and um, it's interesting because I I did a research paper at the beginning of my nursing career about um, antibiotic resistance. It was fascinating to me. Um, w- my report was on McKady Hospital up in Ogden had to close its surgical unit and, and stop all um, like heart surgeries and, and some other surgeries because they were having a strain of bacteria that broke out during uh, surgical procedures and it was resistant to most antibiotics. And so they had to figure out one, where, where the infection was coming from and two, how to stop it. And then trying to find a, uh, an antibiotic that was effective took some time. And when I was doing my research paper, um, it, it talked about several studies that I read, talked about how a lot of the products that we use today contain antibacterial stuff. So, hand soap, dish soap, laundry soap, like almost anything that you can think of contains antibacterial properties. And how that may have contributed to some of the mutation that we see in bacteria that now are not effective, or I mean, can't be killed by certain antibiotics, and I think in part by antibiotic overuse. And so I know for me as a nurse practitioner, I have people that come in all the time, and, and they get upset when you say, you've got a virus and antibiotics aren't going to be useful for you, and they want an antibiotic, and so, when you take an antibiotic, what this was interesting too, Bill, that um, mm-hmm. bacteria and viruses can share genetic information, and so that's part of what has contributed to antibiotic resistance.
1: Wasn't it you that was telling me or telling us um, that when when somebody goes onto an antibiotic treatment for an illness, it takes a significant amount of time. It kills all the the you know good stuff that's in your digestive system. And then it takes like weeks and weeks for that to come back. Isn't that the case?
2: Yeah. So certain antibiotics, most antibiotics can't tell the difference between the good bacteria that you have living in your gut that helps keep your immune system healthy. It helps with digestion. Um, And so when you take an antibiotic, it kills all of the good bacteria and then all of the bad bacteria that are causing the infection. And it can take some studies say six months to a year to restore Mm. that natural gut bacteria after you've taken an antibiotic. And so I, I tell people, whenever I give them an antibiotic, you need to take a probiotic and take it regularly, even after you've stopped taking the antibiotic.
1: Mm. Yeah, put the good stuff back in. Yeah. Um, the the last little one I just want to touch on, because I think it's the closest to what we're dealing with right now.
2: Is this the, the flu of 1918?
1: Yeah, this is the Spanish flu of 1918. It lasted two or three years. If, if I remember right, I think that decimated about tw- I could be wrong
2: 20 I think I yeah 20 like 20 to 50 million people
1: yeah and um you know if I if we were in 1918 right now with COVID-19 and we didn't have the medical treatment we didn't have good ventilators we didn't have um the knowledge we have about how to create as much safe space as possible I think we'd be dealing with a very similar type of result and so this particular um this particular uh I want to say pandemic or epidemic or endemic, whatever, whichever word is the right word. This seems to be the most similar that we, we, it was a serious amount of infections. You can see how they pack people in this picture. For those who are just listening to the audio, it's a photo from the early 1900s that shows this big, large open, I don't know if it's a warehouse or what, but there are gotta be, there's gotta be 150 beds in there, 200 beds in there. Or more. And yeah. And these people are all packed in two or three foot from each other. And you can see these people are all sick. And and it's kind of the situation we're running into today. And, and I imagine if we didn't have the modern technology we have, we would be looking because I think some of the reports coming out is close to twenty percent of people who contact, who contract COVID nineteen need hospitalization, um, and that's one out of five. And that that tends to be about the same number that we run into with the Spanish flu. The Spanish flu today, we now have vaccines that prevent people from getting that strain of flu today. Um, but here we are with COVID nineteen, which. The big issue with the flu, it's not just throwing up and having diarrhea for a few days. It's end up developing pneumonia. And uh, if I'm not if I'm not wrong, correct me too, Mikkel. If I'm wrong, but COVID 19s major issue is that it causes respiratory failure. Yeah. And, it, right. Mm-hmm, it produces. And then there are some yeah. some smaller issues with like heart heart issues and things too. But the main issue is respiratory failure.
2: Yeah, and the reason it does that is um, it. it- it produces a massive immune response. They call it a cytokine storm. And so your, your lungs just fill up with fluid and can't clear it. And so you do, it's, it's acute respiratory distress or respiratory failure. And you, you basically drowned in your
1: secretions. And and again, let me just be vulnerable for a moment. One of the scariest things in the world would be to be all alone, suffocating, taking your last breaths. And you know, every breath is gasping. I, I, um, I feel a lot of uh, hurt, I guess is the word. I feel a lot of, hurt for those who have gone through this. Their their family can't be by their bedside. Right. um, And they are gasping for air and every breath feels like it might be the last one. Uh, I can't imagine a worse way to go.
2: No. Alone in a scary hospital, no family. Yeah. It would be terrifying.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So let's all be safe, right? Let's all keep our distance. And again, some space for when social isolation becomes so difficult let people reach out in their own way. We, and again, we have technology today too. People we're doing right. You and me, you and me are getting some social connection just by doing this podcast and seeing each other. Um, but let's also, let's stay away from large groups. Let's not collect in groups of 10 or more. If you can stay in less than 10, please. But let's also honor that this, these are hard times. People are paying a price for the social isolation. Um, and let's, let's do the best we can to stay away from each other. Uh, they say six foot, they say sneezes can go up to 24 foot. Um, just be careful. Uh,
2: Yeah. um, uh,
1: president Trump's not going to wear a mask or a scarf.
2: So there's some,
1: put something on maybe.
2: Yeah. I don't know. There's some, there's, there's mixed information. So the surgical masks that people are wearing just out in public aren't protective. Um, they may slow some of the particles from getting in, but they're not, you're still going to breathe in those air droplets and those.
1: Right. Not adequate, not adequate, but better than nothing.
2: Hmm. I don't know. I'll have to share the graphic that I have that shows that it's, it's, they're really not that effective. Um, the, the biggest things are good hand-washing. You know, if, if you've been exposed, stay away from other people because there's a chance that you have symptoms and you don't realize it. And then you can spread that infection to other people. Um, if you're, if you're sick, stay home. Um, it's, we've got to do our part to help flatten the curve and prevent us from getting infected and possibly giving the infection to other people. Um, And so it's hard because this social distancing, this isolation is difficult. It's killing me not to see my friends. Um, We haven't had a get together in what seems like forever. I was talking to one of our friends the other day, just on Marco Polo. And we were talking about how we went to new Orleans, a huge group of us, not too long ago. And it seems like it was years ago it like, yeah, a long even, like, time. It seems like it's been years since we've gotten together.
1: And now looking back, uh, New Orleans was ground zero. <laughs>
2: I know. There were a lot of people. We talked yeah, about, a lot of people. Like, what are the chances that we came across this? Cause we had a couple of friends that when we got home, they were super sick, super sick. Like Finnegan was really sick when we got home. And so that was in, that was early February I remember sitting at the airport and listening to the news and hearing about the virus spreading all over in China, but it never, like, I didn't seem worried or feel worried at that time because it wasn't here yet. And so, you know, I just figured "Eh, it's going to be another like SARS event where it was, it mainly affected the people in Asia, which it's, that sounds horrible of me to even say that I didn't worry about it because it wasn't personally affecting me, but we do that, right? We, if it's not something that's happening to us or people that are close to us, we don't give it much thought. So I remember sitting at the airport hearing about it and then here we are like two months later. So it makes me wonder what the chances are that we could have been exposed to it. Who knows?
1: tell you um, two things. When you talk about flattening the curve, people go like, oh, so what? The important thing is one, if we flatten the curve, less people die. It's just a fact. Right. Number two, by flattening the curve, um, we don 't overwhelm the hospitals, so if if right. major uh, population areas are already New York City uh, is a prime example are overwhelmed they 're running short on ventilators. I think they were there were data coming out <clears throat> on April 19th, which is supposed to be the peak, that will be for the number of people in the hospital, we will only have about twenty five percent of the ventilators in some of these cities that we need for the people that will need care. Um, ICU beds, hospital beds, the same. Uh, It amazes me. We live in the United States of America. And if you look at that graph, the U.S. has 312,000 cases. I know China is not sharing details. I know North Korea is not sharing sharing details. Spain has only 130,000. Italy, 124,000. We in the United States are so used to our freedom, we're having a hard time. Maintaining this social distancing and, and we're paying a price for it. The third thing is by flattening the curve is we buy ourselves time with as few of us getting sick up to that point as possible before a vaccine or some type of treatment is found. I know in New York City hospitals, they're testing some of this antibody plasma already. And if results are positive of that, um, I think we'll start to see that plasma from recovered people being distributed among the high risk people and those who are showing severe symptoms and maybe we can start to to address the the infection itself but until then we've got to buy time for for medical personnel and to keep as many of us safe as possible um so we all need to do our part
2: yeah for sure
1: anything else from you
2: um i don't think so i i'll send you those links and um It'll be interesting to see how this plays out again. Because thinking about China, they, you know, it's been since December since this started to kind of pop up on the radar, and we're already into April, and it's not getting. It doesn't seem to be getting any better in, in China. So it'll be interesting to see how long this plays out for us, and what continues to happen. Um, you know, I saw somebody post something on Facebook the other day that talked about how the suicide rate, um, even before the pandemic, was higher than uh, the infection rates for. COVID-19 is. And I think I, not to discount either one, they're both serious and devastating issues. So I think it's important that we, that we continue to reach out to people and make sure that they're safe and that they're, they feel loved and that we connect with them in the best way uh, that we can so that yeah, we keep our people.
1: There, there is an argument to be made for getting the economy back up and running as soon as possible and so there's this balance like we shouldn't dismiss people who say like look there's a price to pay by staying staying you know half running and staying down and yet there's also a price to pay if we go full go and everybody keeps just talking to each other and being next to each other and interacting with each other and staying in each other's space we got to find some sort of balance otherwise cuz both those extremes have serious dire consequences um, and and I don't know that we're doing it perfectly. And and I think it, we ought to respect this conversation. It's messy. It's complex. Yeah,
2: yeah I, I don't think there is a way to figure that out, Bill. I don't think there's a way mm-hmm. to to find that balance because everything is still so new, and and we're we're trying to figure out the best way to approach things.
1: Yeah, and the Spanish flu again, two or three years. I mean, right. This is similar. If we could easily make this go two or three years, and perhaps reduce some of what happens. We could make it go nine months and what the consequences would be, would be severe, but then there's less time of suffering. Right. Um, it's messy and there are lives at stake. So my suggestion to everybody out there, be careful. Um, do your best to protect yourself and your family. Do your best to protect others from you um, and just be responsible. That's what almost most awakened people do.
2: And wash your hands.
1: Wash your hands, hand sanitizer and wash your hands preferably. Um, yeah. hand sanitizer is the backup, but washers use soap. I know people who don't wash their hands when they use the restroom and I cannot understand <laughs> how people live like that. That's almost as bad as just shitting in a pot on the street.
2: It's so, so, I don't understand. It's like so simple. It takes 30 seconds, you know, 20 seconds of good scrubbing and 10 seconds of rinsing. Like, why can't you do it?
1: Yeah. I will, well,
2: I will shame you.
1: Yeah. You deserve shame if you don't wash your hands. So uh, a lot of fun, good conversation. I enjoyed talking with you today. Uh, anything else from you? I don't think so. Okay. What should our closing song be? What's a song like? Pandemics. Mm. I was, I don't know. Like I was thinking maybe like, um, and it, it doesn't really tie directly to this, but we didn't start the fire. Um, yeah, it was always burning. One.
2: I, Yeah. I've been listening to a lot of Nako lately. Um, His song, part of the problem or part problem has been stuck in my head. Like we're all part of the problem because we, we either don't do what we're asked to do or, you know, we don't wash our hands or.
1: So Nako's song is part of the problem. Uh, You're frozen. You were too. I was frozen. You were frozen for a second too. Go ahead and say that again. Is Nako's song part of the problem?
2: Yeah, but it's more about like owning up to your shit. And not really about illness or sickness, but, um, either one is
1: good. So you choose. Okay. For those listening on the audio, the song's about to start. Thank you. Listeners. Check out almost awakened. Oh, uh, Mikkel, you're a lot of fun. Love you to death. Can't wait till this thing is over. Um, Same. be safe and listeners be safe. Uh, if you like what you're listening to, if you like the podcast, please donate. You can go to almost awakened.org at the donate button, donate some money. Uh, Mikel, you're going to have a new joke for us next week, right? I will. Okay. Mikel's in charge of our new joke.
2: King um, I'll have one from time jokes. to time, but
1: but you are, you're big on jokes. I love this. So um, next week, uh, we'll see what we're going to do. Uh, any idea what we're going to cover next week?
2: Wait, no idea, but I'll find something
0: good.
1: Okay. I All love right. it. Can't wait. Everybody, see you next time. This has
0: been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org or you can check out past episodes, make a donation to keep this podcast running. email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit spirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director, Brittany Hartley.